0: I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them now at 514-488-3618 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group, We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we've got Dr. Courtney Taylor with us. She's the executive director of the University for the East Mississippi Community College in Columbus, Mississippi. So, Courtney, I don't know if I can call you Dr. Taylor. I've known you 10 or 11 years before you got the fancy degree. So I'm going to try to call you Dr. Taylor, but if I say Courtney, you've got to promise not to get mad at me.
1: Well, I was Courtney long before I was Dr. Taylor, and I prefer Courtney in most scenarios, so just please call me Courtney.
0: Well, it's good to have you on our show as I remember now when we first started our business 2014. You and I've known each other a long long time. You're one of the first people I talked to, and a lot of people told me, "Oh, don't do that. That's risky." I don't know if you're going to make it and you were like gung ho from the start. You were like, oh, this is awesome. You guys are going to do great. So, so you believed <laughs> And in I the- really
1: believed that. <laughs> you know, it's funny to think back to those days at Troy and working with you guys on your labor market data and stuff like that and it's funny cuz I follow you now and have been following you for six years, and it's really fun to watch y'all grow and do the things that you're doing. It's so cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, so you were at Troy University when we started, and we would turn to you for economic data and whatnot, and so now I know you're the director of the University for East Mississippi Community College, and I don't know what a University is, so why don't we just start <laughs> right there. What is the University?
1: The fun thing about the University is it's really whatever it needs to be to support our region and support our state. It's a project that started long before I got here, and it's a physical building. It's 143,000 square feet, of advanced manufacturing training space. We have 21 training bays, 16 classrooms, all designed to support our advanced programs, you know, systems-based automation, mechatronics, industrial maintenance, machining. This is a little bit of a quiz, by the way. We have everything from our non-degree workforce programs where we do entry-level training for employers and things of that nature here that's kind of the beating heart of what the facility is. But bigger than that, it's a big old glass building. If you drive by 82, and I know you've come to Starkville a lot, so you better come in and see us, but you can't miss it. It's a big old glass building right on Highway 82 between Columbus and Starkville, and it really serves as the region's anchor for workforce development. I started here in November. Facility opened last July. We had our first classes in August. So we're technically starting our second full year, Monday actually is when classes come back in session for our degree programs. The fun thing about it is we have the basics, you know, kind of like your milk money, you have your basic programs that are here to support the current needs of industry and kind of where they're going and things of that nature and what I get to do is bring my world to it and help figure out where does it need to go where do we need to go to support our business and industry and our economic development efforts and we have a great group of economic developers in north mississippi and the golden triangle so i'm having a lot of fun with that but i get to really come in and focus on our partnerships and saying okay what resources do my companies need do they need more contact with the four-year college? Do they need more from us? You know, what is that they need? And, and so the community university kind of sits in that world because nobody really knows how to define it. And that's really fun for me. I mean, you know, we go way back and I like being in that world. And, you know, when I was at Troy, I had this whole spiel about how to work with four-year colleges because, you know, economic developers were always talking to you guys. And I was always working with y'all and you'd say, well, how do I get to this person or what does this mean? And education is kind of its own little thing. And so I get to do that now in the workforce development world in this region and kind of try to decipher what's going on and really produce the training, the short-term training, the long-term training, whatever's needed from our partners.
0: Now, remind me what your PhD is in, because we have some folks out there listening who I think the only other person we have had is Pete Fullerton on our show. He's got a PhD in, I think, human capital, because... He said he didn't think there was an economic development PhD. That's the closest he got. So is that yours or what is yours? It is.
1: I went through Southern Missus Human Capital Development Program. And what happened for me was when I was at Troy and doing economic development research and working with you all, like I realized real quickly that my skill set was not in building physical capital. Buildings and tax abatements, all that stuff's wonderful and it's necessary it's not my thing, but I really was interested doing the labor market studies about the gap that we were seeing between the jobs that were needed and the people that we had coming out of programs. We had programs. So then it started begging the question of, well, why don't we have people in the programs? And so I found the PhD program at Southern Miss because I had actually had some experience with Southern Miss because I lived in Hattiesburg for a little while. And I said, you know what? That looks like a really cool meshing of the human side and the economic development physical side. And so I call workforce development the human side of economic development. Not that you guys are inhuman, you know that. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, you guys help with preparing the land and those kinds of resources, and my job is to prepare the people. And so I went after the PhD program, and Pete was in that program with me, and it's been a great benefit. You know, I like to stand on the edge of education and industry, which is kind of a crazy place to be, but it works.
0: Well, you know, I think before COVID, we were running out of people. And it would be interesting to see after COVID what happens to the labor force. But I was going to places. They just didn't have workers anymore. So I think workforce development had become more uh, important than anything. And probably will be in the future. It's just hard to predict with COVID going on. So at Troy, you work more in what I would call economic development. Now you're more in workforce development. what made you want to make that switch? Was that a conscious choice you wanted to do? Or what made you want to do that?
1: Yeah, I'm part crazy. So when I was looking at it, that was just what made me tick is figuring out the complex puzzle because of that very thing is people were running out of workers 10 years ago, we were running out of workers. And we had just really started promoting workforce development and incentivizing it doing things like that not 10 years ago, but that was when it really started coming to a head. And we realized we had to do something different. And so for me, I realized then that we were going to have a problem and that there was going to be a lot of opportunity for growth and work and research. I'm a practicing academic, so I do like to do some research, and I try not to talk about that with my industry partners because people were like, "Mm, no. But yeah, it was very intentional. I followed my husband a little bit with the military and got some time to kind of step away and really look at what I wanted to do. And the more I went into human capital development, the more I realized that that is what I wanted to do. And so I was able to get back into workforce, into the developments, as I call. It. You know, I have a little bit of background with the Community Development Institute. It all goes back to people. And so I got to work in Alabama, in North Alabama, and got to start doing workforce development. And it's been a blessing. And it's crazy, you know. Judson at Troy, he used to say economic development was a marathon with hurdles. That's what he would tell communities. That is and, a good, yeah. and it is what it is, but workforce development is a marathon with hurdles through a minefield because you've got all these different partners pulling at you. you know, you've got your industry, you've got your K-12, you've got your public workforce system through your WIOA dollars, and you've got your economic developers, and communication is important. It's also the hardest thing. You know? Communication is hard. So I chose the field, and some days I question my sanity, but I think it's at the pinnacle of everything right now, and I think COVID is really highlighting our career development process in this country and if any of your listeners are on LinkedIn and you follow me at all I'm sorry what I talk about all the time is you know we have to do a better job of getting down into those lower age groups and getting students interested in this stuff
0: so at the community do you all come up with classes so people can actually get a degree and you also make customized training for industries or do you focus on one or the other or how do you kind of do both those things
1: The fun parts about our job is companies will come tell us what they need. They will say, I need a composites technician class. They will help us develop it to their processes and their specifications. In Mississippi, we have the fortunate world of being kind of the center of everything. We have a WIn job center on campus. So we have the Department of Employment Security on campus. We have our WIOA programs on campuses, which funds and kind of helps us maybe take a little bit. The federal programs are difficult for people to understand. So we have that side. And then when the company comes to us and they say, we need this skill set, we can do it as either a customized training program, which is short term, most of them, you know, either 10 hours or maybe it goes into 12 weeks, just depending on the setup. And sometimes that turns into, well, actually, we're going to need a steady supply of these people. We need people that can do this particular thing. So we just set up a recurring class. And so maybe then it becomes open to the public. And that's where our, like our composites class is one that's on the top of my mind right now. Because the company, our local partner will say, hey, we're going to need people by the end of the year. And so we'll offer two of them. But it is very customized to their processes. So they know what they're getting. We know what they're getting. And then we produce the people when there's a need. So you have that piece. And we can do that for our larger industries, our smaller industries. And we have a lot of fun with that. And then on the other side of that, we have more of our career long-term programs, either degree or certificate, things of that nature that we develop. And they're a little bit longer term, a year, two years But those are also developed with industry. You know, they go to Jackson with us and they help us define what credentials are needed, what kind of equipment do we need to be teaching on. And it's a perfect marriage there to help us make sure that we're providing the competencies that the employers need and we're providing as many of them as they need. And that's kind of the challenge. You know, it kind of goes back to your question a minute ago is they're having a hard time getting people and they're paying money. People are paying us money to come, you know, so it really kind of makes you really look at your processes and how you get people interested in this stuff.
0: So how do you identify the classes to offer short and long term with both of them? You just listen to your industries or how do you go about kind of figuring out if you need a short term class or a long term?
1: So a little bit of industry and a little bit of labor market data, you know, I'm a sucker for labor market data. And so I'll peruse the job postings, you know, like from N Z and places like that. And I'll peruse the job postings just to kind of see what's coming up, what's happening. We have a stable base of classes that we offer all the time. You know, your introduction to machining, your composites, your avionics, just based on what our industry needs. Now, sometimes we start it as a short-term non-credit, non-degree program because it's got a lot of flexibility. We can teach whatever we want. If a company wants five things taught, I can teach five things. I don't have to have any approvals. It doesn't matter to anybody. It's what they're willing to pay for, essentially. But then what we find sometimes is now that program actually has a greater need and we need to build it out a little bit for other industries in the area. Maybe company A needs it, but company B, C, and D also do because it's a transferable skill. Like we have a manufacturing skills basic class here. And that's one of those classes that a lot of different companies can feed from. So that's something we offer long-term offered it every semester. It's a four credit and a non-credit. So we have the flexibility to do both. But basically how we decide is really what the company tells us. If they are like, you know what, I need this done in 40 hours, then we try to make sure that the curriculum matches what they need and gives them what they need, which is kind of a delicate balance sometimes because oftentimes you're training people who may not necessarily want to be in training. So you kind of have to do all that and you have to make it as long as it needs to be, but as short as feasible to protect everyone's investment.
0: And one thing I find Mississippi community colleges do well is if there's a program at a different college and then you land an industry, they're real good about sharing how they did it and equipment and all. So if all of a sudden in your area you land a company that just doesn't build anything you've had, but they've had one on the coast of Mississippi, they're pretty good, I have found, about not being siloed and saying, hey, here's our training program. Y'all work well together in that regard.
1: Yeah, that's been really fun. You know, I came into this right before COVID and then COVID shut everything down. But anytime I've had a question, you know, the other colleges will answer and they will do that. And also, if another college has the expertise in something that we may not have a lot of here, we can bring their instructors here and they'll come willingly and they're happy to help. And I think that's beautiful and that's a great thing and it's a great resource for our industry and also saves some money. You know, instead of everybody developing the capability, you let the people who have it go with it.
0: Thank you, Courtney. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners and be right back with a lot more with Dr. Courtney Taylor right after this. I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best building insights database of in the economic development industry. I am often asked by economic developers, Chad, if you were an economic developer again, what would be the first thing you'd do? And it is without question, without question, first thing I'd do would be put my builders and insights on Lois. And let me tell you why that would be. Number one, I always did economic development in small to mid-sized towns, and one of our struggles was just getting eyeballs on our properties. That was our struggle. Lois overcomes that struggle for you. So the mistake I used to make is I would just put my buildings and sites on the state economic development database. Well, every time I did economic development, I was close to a border. So I was basically bordered another state. And anybody looking for buildings just across the way in the other state wouldn't find my buildings because I only had it on my state economic development website. I couldn't have made a dumber move looking back, but hey, it's what I did. When you advertise your buildings and sites on Lois, it goes to a nationwide database. So prospects looking for a certain site or certain building in the whole country can find you based on the parameters they put in. If they're looking at a radius, they're probably going to find you if they're looking in the state next door. If your building or site is on Lois, it's also the most responsive friendly I have seen. So I love looking at buildings and sites on my iPad. I much rather look on my iPad when we're doing site selection work in the field than on my computer. And I have found Lois is basically the only big buildings and sites database I found that works well on my iPad a lot of the other ones They just don't work as well. They tear the thing down They don't remember your your search query if you put in 50,000 feet and you back it out it forgets it They're just hard to deal with Lois is not it's easy to use it's just as easy for economic developers as it is site selectors it walks you through inserting your information so it tells you place your gas line information here place your water line information here so you don't have to guess you don't have to know code to make this thing work but most importantly once you push save once you enter your information it's going to go in a nationwide database which is going to get a ton a ton of eyeballs on your builders and sites way more than you'd get on them on your own if you just put it on your website or advertise it on the state economic development website. It also inputs ESRA data for radiuses of your buildings and sites. So a prospect's not just looking at a building or site when they find your information. They can actually see information about your labor force. You don't even have to put it in there. It does it for you automatically. This is the best Buildings and Sites database I have found. I encourage you, go to location1.com, sign up for a demo, see how this thing works. Transition to Location 1. You'll be real happy you did. Well, you talked about something that used to, I don't know if frustrate me was the right word, but I never could figure out how to get through it when I was an economic developer. So the last job I had, we had a workforce study done, and we had 17 different workforce partners, providers, which was good, you know, but they all did a little bit different. They all kind of did the same thing, but it was different. And I always had a hard time of getting my arms around, which one does this and that, and how do I pitch this to my prospect and all. And you're a little bit like me. You like results. You said partnership quite a few times. How have you been able to really get your partners on the same page, figure out who does what and put that in common sense terms that a company can understand yet still academic enough terms that your partners can live within their rules and regulations? Have you kind of married that up to get results and make it a good process for people?
1: So that's always a work in progress. But one thing I will say is, you know, sitting around at the SCDC events and the YP events with you guys, you know, I got to hear an economic developer's perspective. That's kind of what I came up in. It's almost like the lens that I have on things and I do not even realize I have it. So one of the ways I do that is we work with our local economic developers. I try to keep them aware of everything because they are a much better mouthpiece than I will ever be. They're working with industry every day. They know kind of the buzzwords. They know the things that are gonna worry them. And fortunately for the partnerships that we have in this region, I can call any one of them at any time and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Not asking for permission. It's asking for like some real world outside perception of what this looks like. And fortunately, just the way we're set up in Mississippi, we don't have a ton of different people that would come to the table at once. The way we're set up is you have one or two people and you can get all the information that you need. And I think that brings a lot for your industries and you know prospects keeps them from being confused and things of that nature. And I try to work heavily through my economic developers for them to tell me exactly what they need because I'm a talker. I'm an academic. I can go if I'm not careful, you know, I'm get off on the left field there. But the partnerships, the other way we do that is we have regular meetings. We have an advisory board here at the community university, and it's got some of our local industries, some of our local economic developers on it. And I just feed them information. And then they feed me feedback. And so I'm able to say, okay, what kind of advertisements do you need? What kind of little one pagers do you need to help sell the story and do the things that you're talking with? And then we have an invited research fellow program where we're bringing the four years to the table, which has been really fun here because then my industries don't have to go out and go find the information. They don't have to go to the industrial engineering at Mississippi State. If they're new or don't have that connection, we can bring it right to them. And so the partnerships and workforce development cannot be understated. If you have a situation where you don't have healthy partnerships, I think it's indicative of a weak workforce region. And our total ecosystem approach here is literally partnerships from K-12 to PhD to industry to your public workforce system. And it's the fun, but it's also the challenge because you know, it gets kind of messy and you have to make sure you're communicating all the way around.
0: Well, I know one of the things you believe in is getting to kids at an even younger age. I think I've heard you say that, so I don't want to put words (laughs) in your mouth, but you figure that's going to become even more important now with COVID because I actually was doing some work in towns with major universities before COVID hit, and they were starting to see less people enrolled in the four-year schools. More people in the two-year, less in the four-year, and that was before COVID hit. You know, if I'm predicting the future, I think more people are going to go the community college route. There's going to be more people doing it online because once they get used to it, you know, they figure, okay, I know how to do that. So part of me worries for what's going to happen with four-year university. I think it's going to grow the two years. What age do you think you got to start getting to kids to really get them thinking about career paths and all that kind of stuff?
1: I think in a perfect world, you're talking third or fourth grade. I am not the person that's going to go talk to a third or fourth grader. You've met me. But I think that there are ways to really – have them explore opportunities without them even knowing it. You know, you're talking about kids playing with trucks at a young age, you know, and things of that nature. And so you have that, but I think to have real career conversations, it's got to be started by the seventh and eighth grade. And that's part of what we're working on here is how do we get the resources to the kids in a way that they want them? Because that's the other thing is old people like me are the ones designing what this looks like and not the children. And so I'm very, you're right, I'm very passionate about that, very outspoken about that, and it's something that we have to do a better job of. But the other thing is, I don't think it's something we need to turn over to K-12. I think oftentimes we ask K-12 to be the expert on everything. You've got teachers teaching business and cyber and all these different things, and they're doing a good job and doing the best they can. I mean, I can't even imagine keeping that many people alive every day in those age groups. And so where I think our responsibility lies from the community college perspective is to stand in the middle, bring them that information, bring them the career resources, help schedule with business and industry, to go to campus and talk to kids. Now, COVID obviously adds a different layer of challenges because now all of a sudden, you know, we've got this 143,000 square foot facility that has an imagination center specifically for kids to come and get exposed and engaged and excited. And now I can't even bring them here. And so now I'm like, all right, let's go find some online resources. But I think all of those things come together and they do have to be done younger. I hope that community colleges do experience some kind of uptick in numbers. I don't think we're seeing it for the most part. I think some of your large regions are seeing it, but some of your rural communities, and that's the interesting thing. You guys serve that small to medium business in your industry, and that's really, we serve all of them. But those are the ones who really need services like the ones that we offer. And they're the ones hiring, you know, onesies and twosies, but continuously. And so bringing all of that together to help expose students to what's in their region. You know, that's the other thing. If you think about your top 10 percent, your local high school, when you went to school, they were the ones who were leaving for college. Right. Like I was one of those. Like I live in County, Alabama, and I never moved back. But I was the one that had experience with the Chamber of Commerce, and I was the one being through all the leadership training programs. Meanwhile, the kids who went to the, what they quote, trade school back then, they're home, and they may not have gotten those experiences. So I think we have to do a better job all the way around of identifying opportunities for kids to get them engaged in their community, help make them knowledgeable, because you've got to think about this. You've been to a lot of different industrial facilities, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. How many of them show you exactly what they do as you're driving by? No, They can't, you know, and so you've got these big white buildings and I learned about this when I was in North Alabama. Yeah, I didn't learn about it then, but it caught my attention because I had a young lady when I was, a program I was working with, Boeing funded in North Alabama, okay, Boeing, North Alabama, big deal, and young lady, I said Boeing three or four times and she raised her hand and she said, what's Boeing? And I said, okay, I've missed some steps. So I had to take a step back and it really reminded me how much we take for granted in our world. And I sit between industry and education every day. I take it for granted. And so that's why we have to do these things, these career exploration activities, and we have to bring industry people in and we have to just expose them to the occupations themselves. And I think we're doing a better job today than we ever have, but we still have a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. Well, I even think about my story. So the light bulb kind of went off for me. I guess I was a junior in college. I took a public speaking class and I was scared to death of it till I did it. And then I did it and I was good at it. And all of a sudden my professor was like, You really good at this. Like you're better than most. You need to think about how can you leverage this and you know. That's really when the light bulb went off for me. And I look back, maybe I should have had that in ninth grade of high school <laughs> instead of when I was a junior in college.
1: I was going to be a vet. I worked at a vet clinic in high school because I did what they said, right? You need to explore the career. And so I worked in a vet and I loved it, but I have a weak stomach and so I can't handle blood. So literally not the person who needs to be doing a vet. And what people would say is, Oh, just be a doctor. Don't be a vet, be a doctor. I don't want a blood, you know, yeah. nobody ever sat down and said, Let's look at all these other options that you're obviously aiming here. You know, let's look at some options. And, you know, I have no problems with where I've ended up. I love it. But you see, we miss a lot of kids by letting them just happen into the workforce system and find it haphazardly instead of a kind of a runway approach where you're showing them do this, this is how much you're going to make. I mean, you don't finish high school, you're going to make $9 an hour max, most likely. There's, of course, you've got your shining stars you finish high school and you get some college, here's what you're liable to make. And so it's really arming them with the data in a way that makes sense.
0: Thank you, Courtney. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners and be right back with a lot more with Dr. Courtney Taylor right after this. (music) On June 4th, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, which is really designed to do three different things. One, help economic developers improve their quality of lives by making more money. Two, helping economic development organizations land more deals. And three, by helping economic development organizations recruit jobs back home from China. You have probably seen emails of various different video courses that we're sending out as part of the movement. And I'll tell you, so far, the two most popular courses have been these. One, board training for economic development board members and elected officials. What are their proper roles and responsibilities? And more importantly, what their roles and responsibilities are not. And our other bestseller so far has been How to Help Small to Midsize Rural Communities build a systemic machine-like program to land manufacturing plants, where they don't just land one manufacturing plant, but where they land many manufacturing plants. We are selling these just one right after the next, so one thank you. We have actually sold about 300% more memberships and revenue than we anticipated we would sell at this point in time, so thank you to all of our members. If you've not joined the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more about it, thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. You can either join on a monthly basis and receive all our content at once or you can just buy one piece of content at a time that's thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement well let's sort of transition to your story so one of the things we like to do is let our listeners just hear your story because some of them out there may want to be a dr courtney taylor one day so Walk us back. You're in high school. I mean, how did you even learn about the field of economic development? And, you know, way before getting all your Ph.D. and master's, how did you just even stumble into this realm?
1: I went to college at West Alabama. And, like I said, I was going to be a vet and then decided not to. And then I was going to be a marine biologist. This is all in, you know, like a four-month period. And finally settled on business because at one point I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to be a volleyball coach. I went to college to play volleyball, you know, I said, I'm going to be a volleyball coach and I'm going to teach. And my mom knew me very well and was like, you know, maybe teaching, but probably not in high school, K-12, you know, you (laughs) might want to look at some some other options. And, you know, I said, you know what, at that time you could get a business, just general business degree and get a great job. So I said, I'll just do that. And it was my senior year, Bruce Sims from Foley, Alabama, Somehow, and I can't remember how we were all connected. I was the chamber ambassador when I was in high school, and I remember the interview. They asked me, Do you know what the chamber does? And I said, Actually, I have no idea, but I'll find out. So I started learning about the chamber then. But he told me about the field of economic development, and he was looking at it from the chamber's eyes, you know. But he said, Hey, Southern Miss has this master's degree program, you should look at it. And I said, well, All right, I'll check it out. And then I decided to go to the master's degree program, and Katrina hit. I had a midlife crisis at 21 and moved to Louisiana for a couple of years and had a great time. And fortunately, I worked for Judson Edwards when I was at Southern Miss and he brought me back to Alabama, Detroit. And that was where I got formally introduced to economic development and really started working with you guys and where I really learned the value of partnerships and mentoring and I would say your organizations like your SEDCs and your EDAAs and MEDC over here, they're very valuable and helped kind of develop and you know you can sit around with those guys who've been doing this for thirty and forty years and you listen to their stories and they're from a different time, but the lessons are there. So I got that in my head and that would help form what I was doing day to day, what I thought needed to be done, you know, we got the community development institute and I started pursuing that. And once you start really examining it, you could see where the weaknesses were of our system as a whole and That was how I kind of found workforce development but it's really kind of funny because I had no idea what economic development was and literally my mom and dad they would try to describe economic development they couldn't you know and so it's very interesting
0: you've been this energetic as long as I can remember but now that you've done all this what really gets you up in the morning excited today is it helping folks get a job what part of it gets you so excited and energetic as you are the people can hear it through the microphone
1: So for me, it's really about solving the puzzle, whatever the puzzle is, whether it's solving the puzzle for my business and industry partners, which at the end of the day, if we're honest, it all is serving and solving the puzzle for business and industry. But the thing that really gets me is I've been involved with a few programs that are designed to help people get interested and exposed and engaged. And that's what really gets my goose. You know, that's what really gets me excited and keeps me, because, I mean, you get beat up every day in these fields. You know that. I mean, it's what you do, and it's not negative. It just is what it is. But what really keeps me going is the fact that we're not doing enough and we have to do more and building those partnerships. I didn't even know it, you know, you just kind of go through life and you do your thing and I didn't even realize it was such a part of my fabric until I really started looking at it. And I'm like, this is the answer. The answer to solving these problems is real partnerships with real people, not positions. That's the other thing we like to do in government. We like to say, well, this position is this. And it really depends on the personality. So I think uncovering those partnerships and where these things matter, that keeps me going. But really, really working to determine how do we get the next generation of people to complete high school and to get a basic skill. The worst case scenario for me is, and the research will actually show you, the people who never do any career exploration. You get the accounting major who wants to be an accounting major because it's what they've always wanted to do. They never look at what else is out there. And that's what I don't want to happen. I don't want people to never look at it. And so that's why I harp on it every chance I get. Career exploration is the answer. And if you have a basic set of skills, it doesn't matter what they're in because they can take you anywhere. You know, I mean, I got a PhD and I can assure you it was not in my plan.
0: Well, that is sound advice. I just thinking back now, I want to be a pharmacist when I was a kid because my cousin was one. She made good money, you know, and I thought, hey, that'll be a cool thing to do. And Lord, I could have never done that. I mean, I like to be outside and move around, you know, and they're stuck inside all day, and it's plenty of good job if that's for you. But none of my family were business people. Absolutely yeah. none of them were business people. And so I never explored that whatsoever until I stumbled in it. And so I think that is great advice. So as we wind down, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners that I hadn't asked you about?
1: So I know that most of your market is economic developers who are listening to this. And the one thing I would like to share, if you'll let me, is just it's a challenging time. We're all experiencing different challenges. And I would say don't give up on your local partners, whoever they are. Help guide them. I think the best resources I've ever had, the most success I've ever had has come from the partnerships and people being willing to share willingly and to not guide not direct but just kind of say hey this isn't kind of what we need we really need this thing over here and to do it respectfully so i would just encourage and if you're having challenges with that just keep at it because it's valuable work and it's something that we've got to do for the next generation and to keep us from having this same conversation in 20 years
0: well dr taylor thank you for being with us today why don't you give our folks your web address in case there's some community college folks around the country like to see what y'all are doing
1: yeah so it's east Ms.edu and I am C Taylor at EastMS.edu and I'm happy to talk to anybody and you've got all my numbers too. If they reach out to you, you can feel free to send them on. I'm I'm happy to share. And if they want to come see our facility, we've done a lot of tours here and we're happy to walk them through and show them what we love and what maybe we wouldn't do again.
0: All right, that's Dr. Courtney taylor Executive Director of the Communiversity. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Chad. Y'all take care.